Here we are in week four of a study through the life of Moses. Uh, we've been calling it Moses, the story of a God chaser. Uh, and the reason it's called that, as a church, I just said it a second ago, but we have a three-part goal. And if you know it, will you say it with me? Our goal is that we will be God-chasing, grace-shaped love agents. And those aren't just empty words. These are things we find in Scripture, and, and this concept of being a God chaser, that's a phrase we may have kind of, I don't know if we've invented it or what, I think other people have said it. We wanted to put a definition behind it that really gave us some uh, clarity and make it biblical and make it something we can get behind. And this is what it is. A God chaser is someone who is fully devoted to bringing glory to God with their life. What are you fully devoted to doing with your life? Is it a hobby that you're fully devoted to? Is it your family that you're fully devoted to? Is it your house? Is it some uh, vision for your future that you're fully devoted to? What are you fully devoted to? We want to be fully devoted to bringing glory to God with our lives. And you can do that through your hobby, through your job, through your family. But God has to be the center of that. And we're looking at the life of Moses because when it comes to God chasers, this dude was OG. You know what I'm saying? He was an original God chaser, right? He did this since the start. And we look at his life and there's a lot of things we can learn about Moses and how he can teach us about being a God chaser. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Exodus and continue there. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it up. Exodus chapter 15 is where we'll be. The scripture will be on the screen behind me. But I want to encourage you to open up the words of God and read them. Uh, there are Bibles underneath your seats there if you need one. And if you don't have one at home, feel free to keep one from church here um, and use it. We'll be in Exodus chapter 15 if you turn the, there. The biggest, like, if I wanted to kind of summarize and recap the last three weeks, the biggest point you need to know for today is this, that God has spoken audibly to a man named Moses, and he told Moses, I want you to go into Egypt to free my people, God's people being the Israelites, also called the Hebrews at this time. I want you to go in there, and they had been slaves to the Egyptians for 400 years and God says, I want you to go in there, I want you to talk to Pharaoh, who's the king of Egypt, and I want you to liberate my people. Now that's the last three weeks, and that was a big task. And we kind of hit pause on Moses' story last week as, as Moses had finished doing that. But I want to kind of time out for a second and refocus our brains this week before we jump into this week's story. Because for the last several weeks, we really focused a lot on Moses, the story of Moses. But the book of Exodus has several main characters, not just Moses. And one of the main characters is the nation of Israel. In fact, from here and for the next several hundred years, the character of the nation of Israel is going to be something that guides God's story through the Old Testament of the Bible, which is basically what the Old Testament is, the story of the nation of Israel. And so, you know, when it comes to learning about being a God chaser, we can learn a lot from Moses. We really can. You remember his roller coaster life, how he didn't trust God several times and how he wasn't perfect and he had some failures, including the fact that he actually murdered somebody one time, which is a pretty big deal, right? And then we saw how he overcame that and God could still use him but when you think about a figure like Moses it's hard to live up to that right we should be more like Moses right right yeah you should and, and we should all be more like Mother Teresa too right it's like you just can't even wrap your mind around what it's like to be like Moses and that's why I love that one of the main characters in the story of of the book of Exodus is the the nation of Israel because I can understand those people the, those people were screw-ups. Those people couldn't keep your heads on straight, and if you watch them for the next several hundred years, you'll learn that it doesn't change much. And I'm like, yeah, that's me. That's me. If I'm looking for someone in the Bible that most represents my, uh, my level of faith, it's the, the Israelites, because they have these highs, these mountaintop experiences, and then they just plummet, psh, because something bad happens. And I, I, I feel that train. Is anybody with me? 
Everybody's like, man, there's the ups and downs. And so I love the story of the Israelites. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to take a second to look at the, the next three or four chapters. We left off the chapter 14 last week. Patrick did a great job of kind of bringing the Israelites out of slavery. But in chapter 15, we're going to uh, move to the next chapters, ch- several chapters and follow the, the temperature of the attitude of the nation of Israel. Where we paused last week, Moses had just led the nation of Israel across the Red Sea. And when he got on the other side, what did they see chasing them? But an army of Egyptians. They had run from slavery, but the Pharaoh was not cool with them leaving. He changed his mind, so he sent his army after them. And here they are, we're free, we're free. Oh no, we're not free. And now they're literally on the run from an army. And then God causes this amazing miracle. The ocean, the the Red Sea just separates. I can't imagine seeing that beyond my belief. I don't think CG could do it justice on a movie. Just the incredible miracle that that was. It says they walked across on dry land. But when they got to the other side and the Egyptians were chasing them, God does one last miracle to kind of get them out of slavery. He closes the walls of the water on top of the Egyptian army and saves them from certain destruction. The the Hebrews have been delivered from certain destruction. And that phrase, being delivered from certain destruction, I kind of want to put that in your head today and I ask you a question. What do you do when you've been delivered from certain destruction? You ever been there? It's that moment where like you just barely miss an accident on the interstate. Someone just runs across you, they run a red light and and about kill you. This past spring, I was, uh, I was in Orlando, Florida with my wife. We had a little uh, getaway without the kids. It was pretty cool to be down there, and we were at this pool uh, at a hotel, and, and everything was great. It was beautiful until I looked across the pool, and I saw this lady, and she was standing a good distance away, maybe close to 70 yards away, and, and she had the unmistakable look on her face of a panicked mother. This right here, right? And so I kind of stood up, and I'm looking at her, and I kind of put the pieces together, I follow her eyes, and at the deep end of a pool, another pool, not the one she's standing next to, but another pool, there's a little boy. He's in the deep end, and he is under the water, and he is struggling. And finally, she finds her words, and she goes, he can't swim! And I had already decided what I was going to do. I was already making a beeline. I dove into the deep end of the pool, was able to drag this kid out to the, to the side and, and let him catch his breath. Fortunately, he hadn't been under there very long. And his mother runs over. If you've ever been there, parents, where your kid almost died, but you run over and you've got this mixed sense of relief and uh, rage at the same time. And she, she's, the first thing she says is, I told you not to get into the pool. You know you can't swim. This boy had come into the pool without his mom's permission or snuck in somehow. He'd gotten on the water slide and slid into the deep end. And this was a hotel pool. There was no lifeguard. And if I had not just happened to be there looking, I don't know how long it had been before somebody would have noticed him. He dodged a bullet. He was saved from destruction. Have you ever been there? Well, what do you do when you're saved from destruction? Well, this lady, first of all, she fusses at him. But then she turns to me and she says, thank you. Thank you, thank you. He can't swim. We're on vacation. Thank you, thank you. People around me were thanking complete stringers. One dude's like, can I buy you a beer? I'm like, that seems like the appropriate response. Yes. You know, it's like, it's like this is a big day. What do you do when you have been saved from the just jaws of destruction? Well, you celebrate. You throw a party. You say thank you. you there's this general sense of relief, isn't there? We made it. We did it. God had just rescued the Hebrews from certain destruction. 
So what did they do? I got to give them credit. They did the right thing. As we get into Exodus chapter 15, we're going to jump on this roller coaster with the Israelites. I I don't want to give you a spoiler, but this is going to be a roller coaster, okay? So strap in. in. Exodus chapter 15, we see their first response to God's deliverance. And actually what happens is Moses uh, writes a little song, kind of a poem. It's kind of cool. And I'm going to read it. This is actually the first worship song we read in the Bible, and it's kind of neat. So let's just read it together. Uh, In Exodus 15, 1, it says, Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. Talking about the Egyptian army. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God. And I will praise him, my father's, my father's God, and I will exalt him. This is like a page out of Moses' personal prayer journal that we're reading here. And it keeps going for several verses. I just wanted to read you a little snippet of it. I don't know what it sounded like, but I imagine it sounded like the happy song. Clapping along if you just got saved from the Egyptian army and you're not dead. Like it was something like that. And they were just like, they were probably tambourines and it was exciting because they were not dead. Woo, we're not dead. Yeah. And it means sure they went late into the night and they, the Egyptians had given them all kinds of spoils as they had left the land. Riches and, and, and livestock and, and gold and stuff like that and food. And so I'm sure they were like, they were cooking it up. They were living it up. We're not dead. What do you do when you've been saved from certain destruction? See, if, I, if it was me, I would be right there with them celebrating. But here's the problem. It didn't stay that way. There are a couple factors that are complicated for the, the Israelites. And, and let's just review them. First of all, they now have to found their own nation. And founding your own nation is not simple. Ask George Washington. Right? The nation that used to rule you is not going to let you do it as easily as you hope. Not only that, but probably the biggest thing they had to overcome was they have been freed from 400 years of slavery. And finding your feet after your people have been enslaved is not easy. Ask Harriet Tubman, right? It is hard to get back on your feet and do these things. And so it's no surprise that after the the party died down and the food was gone and the fires were nothing but coals, the people started to get antsy. What are we going to do? You know, it's going to take faith in something much bigger than their circumstances to get them through. Did you hear my sentence? Listen to this. It's going to take faith much bigger than their circumstances. How often is it your circumstances that you put hope in? As long as there's money in the bank and the thermostat at the house is working and there's food in the refrigerator, things are good. But as soon as a few of those things break down, our circumstances change. And it takes faith in something bigger than your circumstances to find hope. And so I want to get back to the story. So after all this praising of God for the deliverance from the Egyptians, something happens. And the Hebrews quickly forget the amazing power that God had shown. In verse 22, it says this. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea. And they went into the, what's that word? Desert. That's not where you want to go raise a family, okay? To the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. And when they come to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. And some people think that's like it had mineral deposits, it was salty, something like that. That's why this place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, where are we going to drink? Now listen, three days is a long time to go without water. I don't like to go three hours without a drink. I prefer an ice-cold Coca-Cola, right? But, you know, like three days is a long time, and you've got kids, and you've got elderly people, and there's a big concern. And they go to Moses, but here's the thing. I don't want us to lose sight of what they had just experienced. 
Three days ago, God had destroyed an entire army in front of their very eyes. Less than a week ago, they were slaves. And so God had delivered from all this stuff, but in the midst of their physical suffering, they forgot about all that. And all they could remember was how thirsty they were. Moses did the only thing he knew how to do. He prayed. He prayed. I imagine Moses like, what are you talking to me for? I ain't got any water either. I'm thirsty just like you are. But he prayed. And the thing, the thing that God does here is, I'm just going to go and say it's weird and I don't understand it, okay? But luckily it's not up to me to understand God because he's way bigger than I am. Just, it's like, is it one verse, verse 25. Then Moses cried out to the Lord. That's a summary of his prayer. I imagine it was longer than that. And the Lord showed him a piece of wood. Anybody ever seen a piece of wood? Yeah. So he threw it in the water, and the water became fit to drink. I wish there were more words in that sentence. <laughs> I'm like, huh? What do you mean? He's through the water? What? And so, like, I'm thinking, like, we've got a water issue here in Wilmington. Some of y'all buying your water from the store, and people freaking out about the water. Like, maybe we could get some of this magic wood, right? We throw it into the water supply. I don't think it was magic wood. A lot of people have talked about this. There have been volumes written about this. Uh, I was going to try to explain it, and then I realized I couldn't. But I love what this one scholar says. This guy's name is Douglas Stewart. He wrote a commentary on the book of Exodus. If you'd like to know more about it, feel free to ask me. But this is what he says. He says, speculation about how a piece of wood could eliminate mineral salts from a large body of water, it's as fruitless as speculation about how the Nile could turn to blood or how a staff could turn into a snake and back again. It wasn't supernatural. It was an... It was supernatural. It was not a natural event. Moses' faith in being willing to do what God commanded him without understanding why or how it would work, this is what was implicitly commended here. You get that? It wasn't the wood. It was faith. It was God's power. Because whose was the water? It's God's water. He created it in the first place. That's the story. That's how it goes. The roller coaster continues. I bet you that after they drank the water... There was a party. Three days. In fact, listen, look at verse 27. We skip ahead. So they keep walking. They end up going to Elam where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees. That sounds nice. And they camped there near the water. Oh, yes. God gave us water. God is good. God is good. Like, we are so happy. And they're dancing again. They got the DJ playing. And people are swimming in the water, dumping on their heads. Woo, they're celebrating. The roller coaster continues. Because again, about a month later, they keep on walking and and they've had water now. But guess what they're going to start running out of? Food. They had some food. You can stockpile that. It lasts a little bit longer. But they run out. And the memories of the splitting Red Sea are starting to get faded. And the memories of the, the, the Egyptian soldiers floating in the water are starting to be less important. And the memories of the plagues that came down and freed them from the Egyptians, they're, they're, they're not as clear. The memory of the magic wood in the water. Can't remember it. Why? Because I'm hungry. I'm hangry. I need some help here. They go back to Moses. Look at um, chapter 16 now. We're going to skip ahead of chapter 16. On the 15th day of the second month, if you do the math, it's been about a month since they've been out of slavery, about four weeks. Verse 2, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Again, they're like, what do you want us to do about it? I'm hungry too. Verse 3, the Israelites said to them, listen to this, if we'd only died by the Lord's hand in Egypt... There were pots of meat in Egypt, and we sat around, we ate all the food we wanted. But you brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Did you catch that? I mean, it's only been a month. Four weeks ago, these people were being forced to make bricks without straw, which was a big deal. That was, te- that was the big technological advance of the day, bricks. 
okay, and they were being able to force to make it without half of what they were used, used to making them with. They were being treated like animals in the field. They were being beaten. They were being treated like less than human. There were policies that made their lives illegal. Do you remember when Moses was born way back in chapter 1? Pharaoh just said, hey, look, if you have a baby boy, you got to kill him because I said so. This, this was these people's reality four weeks ago. But listen to what they just said. We had it better in Egypt. We had it, we had it better in Egypt. I want to go back. They're having fun. Y'all hear that? That's good. That's what we like to hear. Church for people who don't like church and people who love to listen to children. But these people are hungry. And they're and they ready to go back to slavery. Now, from your well-fed bellies, and even if, I know that we're all not super prosperous here. We come from different places, but my guess is you've eaten in the last week, right? When you get really hungry, you start to do one thing that's really important. You start to forget good times. And all you can think about is that pit in the bottom of your stomach. And the Israelites do what we do a lot. They forget what God has done in the past. You know, I think that this up and down response to God is something that I know I can relate with as much as anything out of the Bible. Are you with me? The up and down response to God, it's the, it's the mountaintops and the valleys. And so maybe you've had some of those mountaintop experiences. Maybe it's been a good church service. Uh, I, you know, maybe it was just you in your car and a certain worship song came on. You're like, that's it. I'm in the zone right now. Maybe it was just a, a moment you had with a friend. And you guys were just talking. And you're like, ah, I have clarity right now. You had those moments? I hope you have. And those are like mountaintop experiences. But we were never created to live in the mountaintops. In fact, in fact the, the majority of our life, especially if you know Jesus, is that he wants us to be in the world with people who are hurting. And yeah, we can go to those places and we can be recharged and reminded about who God is. But the reality is, the difficulties of our life, our sin, our problems, the results of other people's sins and problems, they cause us to come down off the mountaintops. And then we hit the spot that I want to call the wilderness again. You hit the desert. You hit the wilderness. And you forget all about it. And who can I complain to? Where's the comment card? Who's the manager around here? These guys talk to Moses and Aaron. And instead of glorifying God, we start to glorify the old days. Stick with me. Maybe you've never been a slave in Egypt. I don't think any of us have. But we've been slaves to something. We've been slaves to something, and if you've ever been uh, in an addiction or a temptation that you can't shake on your own, you know what I mean when I say you are a slave to that thing. In the book of Romans, I'm not going to read it, but just write it down if you want some really good Bible reading this week. Look in the book of Romans, read chapter 8. And he talks a lot about how uh, our slavery to sin is what separates us from God. But then he talks about Jesus and says what Jesus does is he delivers us from that slavery. Sin is called slavery. In fact, in other places, it's said that sin is our master unless we know Jesus. So now let me say this again, that when we get down in the wilderness, we forget to glorify God and we begin to glorify the old days. We go back to the thing that we know, we go back to the addiction, we go back to the anger, we go back to the the bitterness, we go back to the hate, we go back to the doubt, and farther and farther we go and we get farther and farther God's promises and the farther away we get, the harder it is for us to remember how good it was on the mountaintop. And walking in the wilderness stinks. But God wants us to know, I'm the God of the mountaintop, but I'm also the God of the desert. And I'm here for you. Will you turn to me? The Egyptians said, you brought us out here to die. And I bet that God was like, no, sir, 
That is not why I brought you out here. I brought you out here to live. I brought you out here to set you free. And you might not remember this, but when I first spoke to your forefather, Abraham, I told him I would bless the entire world through your family lineage. Do you realize that? And do you realize that I have not planned to give you your own land? Keep reading the Old Testament. He does. I didn't bring you out here to die. I did bring you out here to see if you would trust me. When we get in the wilderness, we forget about giving glory to God and we start giving glory to the old days. And I think we quickly forget being delivered from destruction and all we can think about is going back to Egypt. Guys, you don't want to go back to Egypt. Some of us are living in Egypt right now. You follow my metaphor? Like this is a life without God. This is a life on my own. This is a life where God is not providing for me. This is a life where I'm not trusting in him. This is a life where I'm trusting in myself or my friends or my circumstances to bring me hope. But guess what? They crowd to God and they say, we're hungry. And they go to Moses. And God says, all right, I'll take care of your need. He provides them with this crazy substance called manna. Manna is this stuff that kind of falls down from the sky. And it's kind of like these wafers. And I always imagined it like snowing, big cornflakes. I don't think that's what it was like at all. But that's how I imagine it probably comes from a weird Sunday school lesson I had when I was a kid. But um, like that's what I imagine. And they use this stuff to make bread out of it. And they call it manna. You know why? Because in their language, the word manna means, what is this? <laughs> that's what manna means. It's pretty funny. And so not only does he provide manna, but he also provides a flock of quails to come. And guess what? Their bellies were full. And what do you do when you've been rescued from destruction? I'm so happy. And they had quail sandwiches. And they were dancing, doing the quail sandwich dance. But guess what? A little bit later, if you keep reading, verse, uh, chapter 17, verse 3, we're not going to go into all of it because the roller coaster continues. They get thirsty again. And they go to Moses in chapter 17, verse 3. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? And this time Moses is like, what's wrong with you people? And Moses actually gets in trouble. He takes his staff, remember from a few weeks ago, and he like hits this rock with it. It's a whole story. God gets upset about it. But still, God provides water for the people. And guess what they did? They were happy again. But then their circumstances changed, and it continues, and it continues, and it continues. The cycle keeps going. It almost becomes comical. God delivers the people. They celebrate. Time passes. People forget God, and they freak out. And it's here in this place of uncertainty that I want to pause the story of Moses and the Israelites, okay? I, just told, I, told, I told a lot of history and just jumping through, but I want to pause that story because, again, we want to take the story of these God chasers. Were they perfect at chasing God? Nah, not really. But we can learn a lot from them. And let's point the camera back at our own lives. And let's say, how can we grow? How can we learn? Because my guess is that this crazy cycle has been your story too. You know, like no matter where you are in your faith, there's been this cycle of ups and downs, and you're like, how do I manage that? So the question I want to put before you is, what wilderness are you walking in right now? Think about it. Seriously. Like, don't just blow that off. Answer this question. Write it down. Text it to yourself. Whatever you got to do. You need to know what wilderness you're in. Is it a simple thing? Is it a car problem? A little thing you dealt with this morning? The kids were bratty, and you just got to deal with that when you get home. Is it a major thing? Are you dealing with you know, uh, financial problems? Have you been laid off? Have you found out that you have, you know, an illness? Like, what is the wilderness that you're in right now? It's hard for us to, to meet our own daily needs. It's harder for us to take care of even the bigger, heavier things. We later in the story see uh, that the nation of Israel begins to be attacked by other nations, like armies start attacking them. And then they, they're bummed about that. It's, it's a bummer to get attacked by another nation. 
but God provides for them there as well. And here's what I know about my life. You know, it's hard enough providing food and, and, and water and basic needs. Then you get ambushed by something that you're not expecting. It could be any number of things. What do you do in the wilderness? Where do you go for hope? I want you to know that God can save you from certain disaster. And he's the God of the mountaintops and he's the God of the desert. And really this is the message of Christianity. That's what Jesus is all about. First of all, if you're here today and the story of Jesus for you is maybe new or you don't really understand it or you're just here with a friend, I want you to know something. It's okay if even you don't even follow some of the points that I talked about today. What I want you to know is that this is a safe community for you to explore and discover who God is for your life. And I want to invite you to come back. Don't come back here. We won't be here. <laughs> come to the movie theater across town. But come hang with us. Come just one more week to see who Jesus is and how that might impact your life. But I know that a lot of you know who Jesus is. And you know what that means for your life. And just like the Israelites were, were saved in two ways, they were slaved from slavery, and then they, in a real way, God provided them a nation and allowed them to be a people and have a life outside of slavery, God gives us that same opportunity. We talked about in Romans chapter 8 where we've been rescued uh, from, from this slavery. And I love how it's summed up in Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. We'll just have this on the screen. It says, for he, this is talking about Jesus, for Jesus has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. That's the slavery, that's sin. And he's brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's the summary of the gospel. That's the summary of who Jesus is. He rescues us from darkness and brings us into light. But it's not just salvation from sin's slavery. It's a chance to live in a newness of life. I love what uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, is that everyone is in Christ they're a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. It's an opportunity to pick up and put in new roots and start again. A clean slate. And every one of us have that opportunity. And guess what? Even if, even if you feel like you've wasted your second chance, God gives third chances and fourth chances and 50th chances and 150th chances. As long as we'll turn back to him and say, I want you in my life. I'm going to read one last passage from Exodus, and it's really cool because it's parallel with something we're going to close with from the New Testament of the Bible. The New Testament of the Bible is the last third of our Bible that talks about Jesus and his plan for the church and how we can grow and, and share that with the world. The Old Testament of the Bible is basically all the story that leads up to Jesus, including Exodus. And Exodus chapter 19 is going to set the stage for where we're going next week. Because Moses is talking to God, which by the way is pretty sweet. And God says to him in Moses 19 verse 4, he says, look, you, you yourself have seen what I did in Egypt. How I carried you on eagle's wings, brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you, he's talking to the nation of Israel, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The role of a priest is to be able to go to God on behalf of the people. That's what a priest does. And it's a pretty cool position. You know how to be perfect to do it. But sin is not a good thing in the presence of God. And God says, listen, if you will trust me, I will make your nation a nation of priests. In other words, one day the whole world will be able to know about God through this nation. But the promise that God makes the Israelites in Exodus chapter 19, I love it. Because there's some stuff you look in the Old Testament, you're like, is that for me? I'm not sure. Most of the book of Leviticus, you get confused. Like, I'm not sure... Is this for me? Is this for somebody else? I don't know. This is for you. Because in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, the apostle Peter rephrases what God said through Moses. 
and he applies it to us, the church. Listen to this. This is First uh, Peter 2, 9. He says, but you, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful life. I just want to pause real quick. There's so much in that sentence, so many titles that God gives you if you know Jesus, and this is the one I want to focus on. You're a royal priesthood. In Christianity, is Christianity, there's this concept of the priesthood of the believer. Remember what I said a priest did? A priest goes to God on behalf of the people. Because of God's Holy Spirit and because of Jesus' sacrifice, we all get to go to God on our own behalf and on behalf of other people. It's a really cool thing. And remember when the Israelites were going to Moses saying, Moses, will you please ask God for water? Will you please ask God for some, some food? Instead of us having to go to a priest, you don't have to come to talk to me about it, you can go right to God. Lord, I'm in the desert right now. I need you to provide for me. Will you please answer my prayer? And God says, if you live according to my promises and if you seek me with your life, yes, I will answer your prayers. And then verse 10 says, you once were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now... You've received mercy. Guys, the wilderness just fills our life and it blinds us. And we do everything we can to fight our way out of it. Can I, can, I, can I give you one piece of advice that I learned from the Israelites? Don't try to fight out of it by yourself. Go to Jesus. If you want to know more about Jesus, if you'd like to know more about what it means to become a Christ follower, if you'd like to be baptized into his name so you can start a new life, will you please come talk to me or in a second we'll have a time of communion. There'll be a couple of guys right in the back, kind of right off the side of the sound booth back there. Go talk to them. Say, hey, look, will you pray with me? Will you talk with me about this? Uh, we don't ask people to come forward at our church and do it because we want you to be able to take this decision and not worry about, we take nerves out of the equation. We just want you to be able to work on your life with Jesus. We take the time to do that. And guys, listen, if, if you already know Jesus, will you be a priestly nation for him? Go to the world and let's tell them about the hope that he brings. Because people are walking in the desert and they don't know. And they're scared. And you can say, I can bring you the hope of Jesus with just my words. What do you do when God's delivered you from certain destruction? Well, you celebrate. Here's the thing that I want to learn from the Israelites. Don't forget Let's pray. God, help us never forget the salvation you bring. Remind us daily that you're with us, that you provide for us, and that you've got our backs. Lord, there's times when we simply don't understand you. Weird stuff happens, like throwing wood into the water, and how does that even work? And so sometimes in our lives, things happen that we don't understand. We don't understand why this or that happened, and why this person had to be taken from us, or why we lost that job, or why whatever, and Lord, we don't understand, but just help us understand it's not for us to understand, it's for us to give you glory. That's what our job is. Lord, give us the peace and the hope to be able to walk in that and give us the determination to tell the world that you're good and you love us. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for saving us from certain destruction. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.